What was that? That's the sync. That's to um, make, because we're recording separate audio and video. So it's in oh. post-production. I can make the voices line up with the video. You're so smart, Pete. Well, I've had to fail many times <laughs> doing this. Uh, I, the way things look now, they don't. They didn't look that way at the beginning. You've the, got it perfect right before it's over. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Towards the end, it's like, yeah, give give my best one at the end. <laughs> this is uh, this is Lauren Hopecrass, comedian, comedian. Yes, uh, not comedian. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like. It, <laughs> Female comedians really kind of hate when it's, oh, she's a comedian. Yeah, I don't love I don't love that. I'm like, oh, you're a bigot. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> Just lead with that. I, I feel like before we get started talking comedy, we have to discuss our mutual John Mayer appreciation. Oh, gosh, I should have studied up first. Yeah, he's my life. He's my everything. Mm -hmm. Best blues guitarist of our generation. Not appreciated for his time. Not at all. Um, I think it's starting to come around, though. Yeah, and you know what? He hasn't have anything to prove which is why i love him too just from a creative personal standpoint i'm like he is so good at what he does he loves what he does but he doesn't try to prove himself to anybody he just makes it and he knows the people who love it are gonna love it and the people who go oh that guy from your body is a wonderland like he doesn't care about those people right have you, you know? listened to him on any podcast recently he was on rick yes. rubin's podcast he's brilliant yeah he's a creative genius unbelievable talker like, yeah he's so funny he's so smart he was one he was actually correct when he like dropped out of college where he was like this is stupid i'm really smart and like talented i'm gonna go make music it's like most people who say that are assholes and very wrong and very wrong but he was correct no he was and like you hear it's like i've, I've struggled with this idea because people hear that and they think oh i should do that and i'll be like john mayer it's like yeah but the, you don't hear the no. stories the thousands upon thousands yeah. of stories the people who did that like john and mayer failed. oprah winfrey like he's robin williams like mm -hmm. he's up there for me with... everyone else is working at autozone or yes. whoever dropped out autozone best buy i mean good for them but steady employment's hard they're not by. john mayer nobody is when did your like uh appreciation for him come into focus Oh, gosh. Uh, that would be the sixth grade, nice. I believe, 2000. First and, album? Um, yeah. Well, Room for Squares mm -hmm, is, is when I sort of popped on. It was in sync, actually, and John Mayer was my foray into, what? what's that word again? For secular music, because oh, I was okay. raised very Christian. And so I was going to, like, um, concert, concerts of bands you've never heard of. Like, FFH was my favorite band. Um and uh, and so I thought I was being bad when I was listening to John Mayer. You were listening to Body is a Wonderland. Yeah, it's like, this yeah is... I'm going to have sex when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's funny because when he released John Mayer Trio, I got so mad at the time because this is when I was one of those screaming girls who was like, oh, he's so hot, you know, and I was like, he, I can't even hear him on this. But now I'm like, oh, you can hear him the whole time. It's in his guitar. Yeah. Like the voice is in the notes. It's in. Exactly. Well, yeah. For me, it was the same thing where it's like I heard Room for Squares when I was in high school, but I liked heavy metal and like hard rock. So I liked Room for Squares, but I thought I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. So I had like a little bit of shame, but like it was just so funny that, like you know, I heard the song My Stupid Mouth. Yeah, and I I felt like that really spoke to me as a very obnoxious fourteen year old. That's the kid. anthem for the for every awkward white guy. It is, <laughs> and it's the the thing I love is like you think the song ends and it's like starting now and everything goes quiet and it's two love seconds it. and it's like one more thing. Yeah. It just the the irrepressible urge yeah. to not shut the fuck up. But I had that same kind of thing where yeah, like liked heavier things, really enjoyed Continuum, mm -hmm. and then I watched that. Um, 
where the light is the, yeah. d- the documentary where he does all like the mm-hmm. acoustic and th- that's where i realized like holy shit this guy's an unbelievable yeah guitar that's where it all kind of came together for me and i became a full john mayer stand that's when he was really showing off especially with continuum because mm-hmm. i feel like he did have a phase where he was like i need to prove that i'm real and legit and good at guitar and now he just makes like why you no love me <laughs> like, he just, he's just chilling i don't know i liked it yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that's he t- i think it, it took a while and it's a the thing with him is like this sounds so corny to say but he's really been like lighting the way for me for the last 20 years oh, because amen brother yeah. okay same i've been have you noticed so i will discover i'll rediscover certain albums and then i will google like what age was john mayer when he wrote this like I really got into Born and Raised in my early 30s. And that's mm-hmm. when John Mayer was in his early that's, 30s. That's his best album. It's his I best. Think. Yes. Yes. Born and Raised. Best album. Yeah, That's the end of the podcast, that's, everybody. Good night. <laughs> that is, for, if you're not a John Mayer fan, you should know that's a hot take and it's the correct take. I think it's kind of coming around, though, because he's talked yeah. about like how he's seen a lot of appreciation for it's it the at the acoustic one. shows. Well, everybody's like, it's continuum. I'm like, eh, he shreds the most on that one. Yeah. Like, but Born and Raised, it, to me, has the most soul. Poetry. It is, but like he, I, listening to him talk, he always, he's kind of like reflecting back. Has said that, um, like, yeah, when I was in the mid two thousands, when I was in like my tabloid era phase, yeah. in so many words, he knows, but he knows he, what he did. Yeah, he was like, you know, I was trying to be one direction by way of neil young i wanted mm-hmm. to be the biggest musician on the planet by playing like blues music and i and i was trying to like intellectualize and talk my way into it and like try and convince people to right. like me just straining right. for attention and then this album born and raised was just like his soul bleeding out yeah that was after everything kind of yeah. collapsed he took a it was he took an accidental vow of silence right before that album the, mm-hmm. I and know. that's what came I know out i know you know that yeah. but you know our our listeners that's true who have already turned this off. <laughs> I thought this was a comedy podcast. <laughs> All my do your friends make fun of you when you go on John Mayer rants? No, cuz I have a lot of friends that are John Mayer fans. Okay. Like see, Peter Muth, um he's a big John Mayer fan. Um I need like bro cuz my friends are like women. <laughs> And they think he's a pig. And I'm like, no, he's wonderful. I know. You Give gotta him like, a chance. You got to sell them on him. It's all right. Just forget everything he, you know about John Mayer. Yeah. Give him like five different people pieces are, of research material. People love what's easiest to believe. And I don't have the energy to convince them anymore. Or so like I'm just. The first impression. Like he's always the my body is a wonderland Jessica Simpson. Right. In Us Weekly guy. Yes. Those but, were the mistakes he made. Why are we defining people by the mistakes he made? Also, he did the correct thing after making a mistake. He got silent. He spent some time with himself. He mentors uh, young artists to help them avoid the mistakes he made. He didn't go on tour and put a big sign that says, I'm sorry. Yeah. Louis C.K. <laughs> he had a path and he didn't take it. Yep. He could have come back. Well, this is a good transition from... Con- <laughs> From John Mayer into comedy. We've, we've gone about close to 10 minutes now, which we could do the whole 45. Oh if my we gosh, are to. you serious? No, it's all right. This is great. That felt like one minute. Well, I, exactly. It's like <laughs> you get two fans in the room together. You can just you can just keep it going forever. Um, I, I, one of the things I've liked about doing this podcast is talking to comedians that I know, but I don't know their background super well. Yeah. All I, What I know about you is I know you started comedy in Charleston. And what I know about Charleston is I went there one time for one of my brother's baseball tournaments okay. and it was really awesome. And the TV show Southern Charm. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, Charleston is a lot more than those than baseball tournaments and uh, Southern Charm. It's gorgeous. 
it's very liberal actually it's, really yeah i mean it's the there's it's a college town there's college of charleston that takes up the whole downtown area um i am not a queer person but my weekends were at gay clubs like that's just what i did mm -hmm. you know so it's a beautiful historic um there's you know there's historic problems that are still kind of around historic has a lot of layers to <laughs> it slavery was a big thing okay yeah. <laughs> in charleston i used to work in hotels and people would ask like where's the slave market and i'm like um market street is that way and we don't do that anymore yeah okay? that's in the past but it's how how does one start because uh, you don't when you think comedy or you think charleston you don't think comedy when you think comedy towns you don't think charleston mm -hmm. like where does that start with you especially coming from like a religious background listening to christian music <laughs> growing up it's a uh, i have one simple answer for you and it's theater 99 it is a wonderful improv theater it's been around for gosh it was like when i was there it was 12 years so now it must be like 22 years uh brandy and greg are the owners and they you know they used to do ucb and improv like way back like they could they could be here in new york city they just picked a beautiful place built a theater best improv i've ever seen is at theater 99 in charleston south carolina um in college that was where you went like to go out you'd go watch an improv show so i was very exposed to comedy while i was an undergrad and then when i graduated i was like i'm gonna take a i'm gonna take an improv class yeah i want to do you know <laughs> and then you know it, it was very organic the people in my level one class they also went to the open mic down the street and it just so i mean it really was meant to be because it was like um my improv class was tuesday nights from like five to seven and then the open mic was at 7 30 or something oh, that's great. you know like around the corner so it really was like i went to comedy camp just on accident what was it that like why didn't you start in college why did you wait until after college because i did the same thing really yeah i think for me because i was in charlottesville virginia and there was there's no like stand-up comedy but there. you were thinking about it i was yeah okay. but like i it wasn't until like i was about to start my first job out of college where i was like oh wait a minute this isn't what i want to do right. like I, I felt like this urge to actually go for it. it took me six months to get on stage or an open mic for the first time wow. but once i did it i was i was doing it but for you like was there anything holding you back in college yeah i didn't know i wanted to be a comedian okay <laughs> you just thought you liked improv <laughs> yeah i just i i liked improv i i was doing musical theater stuff you know and playwriting so i was a very i was like the you know not really a theater kid because they're annoying i'm cool uh, i can vouch she's cool <laughs> But yeah, I just didn't know. I mean, I was very confused. I was a communication major and I was like, I'm going to write for Cosmopolitan Magazine and, and be a travel blogger. I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't do it because I didn't know I wanted to do comedy. My story is not relatable. I did. I tried it just to try it and was very good. <laughs> 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 forget all those kids who just like grew up like listening to no. uh you know whatever stand-up comedy right? tapes and like i have to get this out of me and like they suck for years i, was like, I just fell into it because of my yeah. talent um it's very likable no i sucked for a very long time but i had the beginner's luck that right that people talk about and it was the beginner's luck that made me really latch onto it and go because something weird happened the first night i did stand-up it was in this bar um, and there was just always people talking. It was just normal. Like somebody would go up to a set and there's always some people talking. I got up there and, and it wasn't just because I was a girl, like, cause we had other female comics. Everybody shut up. 
it was it was I was like, okay, so people will listen when I talk. I should take this seriously. Yeah. And you know, I worked hard on my first uh, my first set and wrote it with a fellow comic slash boyfriend this is how all women start Mm -hmm. as we have like a boyfriend who does it and we're like i could do that and then you just eclipse him and then you totally eclipse (laughs) he would say things like wow you know this joke is actually funnier than uh, my joke and i'm like yeah no shit yeah don't act so surprised (laughs) what are you talking about so you're in charleston for a couple years before you make the move to new york about two exactly and what is when you start comedy is it in your mind of like i gotta get to new york or was it okay i did stand up for one year trying it out and then one year in, I decided I wanted to do it full time. So it was kind of like an experiment for year one. And I really fell in love with it. I got to go on the road some. I got to do, starting in South Carolina was wonderful because I was playing Theater 99, which 99 means 99 seats, but really it's like 112 seats. And it was like sold out all the time. It's the only thing to do Yeah. in downtown Charleston. So I got to do stand up comedy in these big theaters. And it was wonderful. And I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to move to New York in a year. And then a year later, which marks year two, I moved. And everybody was like, wait, you actually moved? Like, I was like, yeah, I said I was going to move. And they were like, yeah, but we don't move. (laughs) I was like, I'm moving. There's something to really be said for comedy scenes in smaller cities Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, the quality of stage time you can get. Right. We started around the same time and the idea was always like, get on stage as much as possible. And it's like, and New York is supposed to be this place that has like the most stage time. Yeah. What it really has is the shittiest open the mics. The worst open mics on my little comedy map. shitty open mics. I was sad when I moved here because it was very it's like hard. A little, like the emoji with like the slanty kind of mouth, like, <laughs> like down sideways like that. I brought a comedy map to help myself talk through this and yeah but uh because like when you're in those smaller cities like you can get on stage in front of real crowds at a at like kind of a lower starting level than Mm -hmm. you can here like like getting access to real crowds here has been my biggest struggle certainly and it's like it it can almost like inhibit your growth a little bit well you only it's really hard to get a set more than seven eight minutes here Mm -hmm. you know i do i work at a lot of colleges and i do 45 to 60 minute sets and that's how i make a lot of my money and I can't practice that anywhere because when I do like these college shows, I have these longer stories that I'll do. And it's like I just keep doing the same short jokes in New York City because that's all I have time to do. So uh, first world problem. I know. I mean, it's a real problem. It's a real artistic problem <laughs> for sure, because if you want to grow and develop, you need that you space need longer sets space and, and frequency. Yeah. in space like anytime i'm i'm lucky enough to go do like a weekend at a comedy club down in dc like i did i did a feature weekend one time and it was like a year and a half ago and i still think about it a lot because yeah. it was just the most like fulfilling weekend totally. i've had in so long yeah so you, you get here and you kind of hit that like new york wall of like nothing but bad open mics were you prepared for how bad it was going to be and how did you kind of power through that sad sure emotion face i think i thought i was prepared you know i i knew i was going from everybody knows me in south carolina nobody's gonna know me in new york city and then i think it was like the bringer shows that were really hard for me Mm -hmm. and just because it's i can bring i had i had some family around like i can deal with the the bs of of bringers but the way the the like the people who run the bringers treat you is really predatory and gross 
And I think that was culture shock for me. Um, the thing that kept me going again, it's these, it's like institutions that I, that have made me, it was theater 99 and then here it was, it's QED. Yeah. I discovered QED right down the street when I moved here and that was my little home base. If QED wasn't around, I don't know if I would have kept going because it would have just been like a face at like a Buddha mic or like at QED. I immediately was like, hi, nice to meet you. Are you the owner? I want to produce a show here. Like I was one of QED's first producers and I did their open mics and just having that home base is I think how I kept going. It's it's so nice to have a place to feel comfortable, specifically comfortable on stage yeah and some of these other places around town or some other open mics or some other shows you feel like you're constantly getting like the laser eyes a little bit whether it's in your head or real or not do you talk about the creek in the cave on this podcast sometimes yeah i mean that that's (laughs) i mean that's that's certainly not the only i got the laser eyes there yeah was that a tough experience there for you i didn't it's funny because this comic is now a friend but i i specifically and i'm not going to name drop who they are but it was one of my first mics in New York City at Creek in the Cave. And I had just started producing a show at QED. And I just didn't know better. I brought little flyers to Creek in the Cave. Oh, Rebecca must have flipped her shit. It, well, it wasn't. She wasn't even there. I just like was trying to make friends. I was yeah. like, come see my show. But yeah, now I'm realizing like, oh, that's not cool for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I handed it to a comic and he was like, can I do a spot? And I was like, well, I'd have to see a tape. And he was like, he was like, you shouldn't give these to comedians. That's that's really like, did you just get here? And I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) um, Yeah, he does my shows now. Like we're friends. But things turned around for you, though. Things got better. Sorry, let's check (laughs) the map. Look at my map. When did things get better? College plus grind. Okay, so five. Five years in is when I reached out to college agents and started doing colleges. So that made me feel it. Well, it was good for the ego because you're like, oh, I'm making some money from this. Mm -hmm. But it's also good for the art form of doing it because you're doing 45 minute sets. You know, so you really have to craft and act. And so that was more fulfilling for me. Leading up to that, though, um, you had like a job in the city like temp jobs like how did you what oh, I was should have brought my resume yeah yeah you can read on comedy <laughs> resume and then there's another envelope here we can pull out yeah i had lots of jobs i worked at qed i did temping i worked in hospitality um this was in the first part of when i moved here but then more recently my like the last day job i had was great it was harry's which is a startup men's shaving service and it was part-time remote from home and I just like talked to old men all day <laughs> and turn on the southern charm and just yeah, yeah make them feel oh, warm they and love welcome. Me. And like, how, how old are you and I'd be like 47 yep because they are creepy sometimes um but that was a great job it was really fun they had a like the off you know it was one of those offices with like dogs and cold brew oh, that's awesome and parties and they still book me to do comedy for them like it's it's a cute fun company. it's nice when like a day job like kind of works out in a yes. way for a comedian you have like a good relationship or good memories there you i know? feel like at that point i had made it honestly because I, I had a really great day job and that was paying half my bills and then colleges were paying the other half of my bills and it was a nice little balance i i really enjoyed that period and what like um like the impetus for pushing your or the impetus for submitting yourself to like college agents you had seen other people do it and you're like this this seems to be the fastest way to being able to like kind of make a living 
Yeah, because I, I still wanted, I still had it in my head, like, I want to be a full-time professional comedian. And I was like, the only way I can do that is colleges. <laughs> because, like, comedy clubs pay, like, nothing. Yeah. Or, like, 50 bucks if you're lucky. Um, so, and how do you even get into those? Those seem like like impenetrable locked boxes almost. Oh, still, I have no idea. 11 years in, these clubs ghosting me please call me back everybody casey james slingo is one of my favorite <laughs> tweets ever where he just typed out he goes all right after doing comedy for 12 years i'll finally ask how do you get into a comedy club totally totally i i feel like i got into a bunch and then they just like slowly ghost and i'm like is it i'm slowly putting it together that like all these all these tiktok people mm-hmm. i don't want to sound like a boomer but they're stealing our drops <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Lauren was messing with the the flashlight on her phone before we started recording. She's got a slight boomer energy going on. I uh, it it comes out occasionally. Yeah, it's especially on the road because like they, I mean, they sell they're like guaranteed to sell tickets. Totally, more than like an, totally. an unknown comedian is. It's 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 tough to put up with. Um, but like with the colleges though, like how was that experience up top? Because I know I struggled with it. Like just the weird environments. Yeah. Like because you hear a lot of more famous comedians complain about colleges and it's oh the audiences are so sensitive because it's a college kids like that's not a problem with that's colleges. clickbait that's not real yeah. the real problem with colleges is they don't functionally know how to run a comedy show right 100 yeah. percent. i i am pretty much a producer when i do my college shows and it, again it's like you learn through failing a lot um you know my writer has things in it that seem really basic like microphone mm-hmm stand microphone stand play music while people enter um please can i have a bottle of water <laughs> you know um you know have it in an enclosed space um i always show up super early look around and i'm just really nice i'm like hey like i just did two colleges this weekend and i checked out the space and they had me in a roundabout and i was like this is terrible like a theater in the round no it was like it was like a big um conference room and then they had a standalone stage in the middle and then round top tables all around it oh geez and then the lights were on the floor and so it looked like i was telling ghost stories and i said i had to be like hey is there is there a different lighting we could do and they're like oh yeah we have stage lighting here if you if we move the stage and i was like is are there people who could help us maybe move the stage over here you just have to work with them you have to be really patient I show up to every college gig thinking, okay, nothing's going to be right. And that's okay because you're working with 18 year olds. Yeah. You know, it's, it's literally nobody's fault. You just have a good attitude and ask for what you need and produce basically. Did it take you a while to kind of get the confidence or the courage to be able to like assert yourself that way? Cause I know like with certain comedians yeah. and myself included, it's like, you're so grateful just to have a job. Yeah. You don't want to like fuck anything up. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to learn because Otherwise, I don't want to say that I'm a princess, but I if, if things aren't correct, I will bomb. Mm-hmm. I will blame. I will lash out. I will be uncomfortable. I'll cry. Okay. <laughs> like I'm sensitive. So I had to learn like, okay, you need to set this up so that you can actually do your show. Um, I think I learned it pretty quickly, actually, because it was only a couple college gigs and I was just like, oh, okay, this is what I need. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Have you ever had to coach like uh, the student activities person who's introing you like on the intro? Because again, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before too, but they're just notoriously the worst intros. My kids are going to listen to this I, and I love them. I call them my kids. Um, 
you know, they're not performers. But yeah, Pete. they don't know. They're not in a comedy <laughs> club every night like we are. They, they just think like, yeah, here's the person. There's, there it is. The fact of the matter is there's lots of challenges with college shows because it's, you know, a lot of the, the audience, they've not, they don't go to comedy shows. The person introducing you isn't a performer. Um, there's no host. There's no opening act. You're everything. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's obstacles. But what I'm finding right now is really beautiful. Like Gen Z love them they are such a special generation i really believe that and i feel like millennial to gen z we have a special relationship where it's like oh we speak the same language but i'm a little smarter than you yeah you know (laughs) and so they can really look up to you you have experience and they're like i think they're hungry for like the for a little bit of wisdom because maybe they feel like a little lost or i I don't know you know better than me but i do no i'll stop and i'll give them and i'll be like where are the freshmen at do you feel confused okay you're doing it right like Mm -hmm. that's normal like I do little little TED talks in between my con. I love them, Pete. Yeah. I really I'm I'm such a unicorn of a college comedian because so many college comics, and no shade to them, but a little shade to them. They do it for the money only. I mean that's why I wanted to start. It, yeah. it was kind of like a happy accident that I love them now, but they just show up. It's a money grab. The student activities boards sometimes they won't even care if it's good. They'll be like, here's a mic, go. And I'm like, no, I, I produce it to make sure it's fun for the students that are coming like they need it mm-hmm. you and you, know? you talk to them afterwards or like oh yeah see that's so great but that's also before ma- and after that makes the job makes the shows more because there's a lot like been talking about there's a lot of difficulty with college shows and if you're just doing it for the money you're going to be miserable yeah the only satisfaction you're going to feel is when you deposit the check it's and that like, goes away after a day right it's like any other job like just work at a bank if you're just going to show up run through your jokes or what i've been hearing is that comics will lash out at the students because they go and they expect it to be like a comedy club and it's just it's a it's a unicorn of a style of comedy where you assess the room um one of the shows i did this weekend uh the girl the student activities girl she was texting me in my green room and she was like there's like nobody here and i could tell she was nervous and so it was this big theater and i went out and i saw it was like eight kids excuse me adults <laughs> My kids are going to listen to this. Um, my adults are going to listen to this. <laughs> my adults, my adult children. Um, but there are eight students out there. And I just went into the, into the seat and I sat with them and I was like, hey guys. And I just like did crowd work sitting with them and like talked to them, made them laugh. I talked to the guys about protein chips. Like it was really fun. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go backstage. And then you guys are going to pretend like I'm super famous when I come out. And then we did that and I came out and they were all like, we're your number one fan. Like you just, you work around what you've got. You can't just show up, be a dick, do your jokes. And when they just sit there, lash out at, they're 18. Yeah. And they have nothing else to do. Like it, you're the show. I'm like you have so to make protective it worthwhile. of Gen Z. <laughs> That's great. But you like, you, you found a way to like generate interest and generate energy, even if it's something very bizarre as, as a, like, I almost like visualize you like like sitting on a backwards chair like totally. hey, hey kids let's rap let's uh don't do drugs yeah. what's well, I mean that's great to hear that you have found a way to make it enjoyable and have it be worthwhile besides the money when did you transition into doing cruises in addition to colleges I know there's a whole a whole story here I never tried to do cruises cruises found me okay okay um I do so how I book my colleges is through those I'm sure you've heard of APCA and yeah, NACA. Mm-hmm. So I do, I've done APCA in the past, Associate 
Association for Promotion of Campus Activities. That's what it stands for. So I was doing APCA in March of 2022, and cruise lines were there. Really? Yeah. Had they ever been there before? No, they were scouting. They're sharks. They were in the crowd watching all the magicians and the comedians like, can we get you to come sleep below deck and perform for our angry boomers? Um, so I got scouted um, by a certain cruise line and uh, they told me like, we really want you to work with us, but you have to have a cruise agent. And I was like, okay, well, what cruise agents do you like? And uh, she gave me a list and then I did some research, picked one, sent an email and I was like, hi, I'm already um, <laughs> past, <laughs> or didn't say past. I was like, this cruise line wants to work with me, but I have to go through an agent. Here's my tape. Here's my bio. And then we set up a meeting and then I had a cruise agent all of a sudden. So this was a little over a year ago. And the cruise agent was great because she actually... My cruise agent was like, oh, well, we don't have to book you just with this cruise line. She's like, I have access to all of them. So she sent me everywhere. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> what were you still working at Harry's at the time or at your at an office job? Like what? OK, this is the crazy story. OK, Pete, here we go. I'm a little psychic. Truly. I OK. So January. 2022. 2022. I quit my day job at Harry's on a like because of a feeling. I heard a voice in my head say, you don't work here anymore. And I love that job. Whoa. It just said, you don't work here anymore. And I was like, that's weird. The same voice that told John Mayer to drop out of Berkeley. Yes. It was it was like I it was like I cannot describe this to you, Pete. It was like God or something. And I was just like, OK, I'm, I'm very big on like intuitive eating and listening to my body and and not forcing things that feel wrong and. And I was like, I'm just going to take this jump. And I didn't have anything lined up. I had some savings. I'm not crazy. But I quit my job in January. February, randomly booked like over $5,000 in colleges like for one month. And I was like, oh, oh, that's huge. It happened all at once after I quit. Wow. After I took the leap, then those jobs appeared. And then March 2022 was the conference. And that's when the cruise ships were like, we want you to come work with us. And I was like, great. I don't have a job. So that was my job for Whoa. a year. What did Harry say when you were like, I'm quitting because of a feeling? <laughs> they understood. <laughs> they know I'm crazy. Like we're, I was, I still talk to my old boss. Like, um, and I put in four weeks notice cause I really didn't want to go. I was like, I I'm being called to leave, Yeah. but I don't want to go. So here's four weeks notice. <laughs> a true vocation, a vocational calling like to, to get out. Really? Yeah. And it. The year that followed was very complicated. Like, I don't belong on cruise ships at all. Mm -hmm. um, it was very difficult for me. There were, <laughs> I would call it a roller coaster because there really were times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in Alaska. I spent last summer in Alaska and it was beautiful. And I made, you know, I made some fans and some friends. But this is the first time I've really talked about it publicly. But mm -hmm. I mean, I got like dramatically fired and thrown off ships I've, I was sexually harassed. I was heckled and nobody stopped it. I was, you know, flown after being like traveling for over 30 hours, put on stage to do my first show. And then I had to do a second show with no repeat material that same night on no sleep, like panic attacks, tiny cabins that smell like diarrhea and bleach. You can't get a hair dryer. They'll make you cry if you ask for a hair dryer. 
And Pete, I just kept going. And it is a blessing that eventually this past May, my cruise agent was like, I have to let you go. <laughs> she's, you're a problem client. <laughs> she's like, I love you. Like, I know you're funny, but like, this is not a fit for you. And we're just going to, we're going to take you off the website. Mm. And I agreed with her, but it was, it was really hard because I had, what happened was I had just done a, a new cruise. I'm trying to do this without naming cruise lines. Um, I had done a cruise line that I really enjoyed and I'm my biggest critic. I killed. My shows were amazing. They were so fun. I went to Europe. I went to Barcelona. It Barcelona. Was, Barcelona. No me digas. Okay. Get the fuck out of here. I know. I love Spain. And I did like a whole staycation because I just thought I had all these contracts coming up. Because with the same cruise line, I had $12,000 in contracts for July. For one month. For one month. Oh my God. One month. Okay. So is, I, is, that what cru- is that why you kept going back? Like that's why yes, cruises. Yes, because you get, you get about, depending on the cruise line, um, you can get, it's really hard to talk about without naming the ships. There's one very popular line that discovered me. Sure. And they have the best shows, but the worst pay and the worst accommodations, and that's fifteen hundred for a week. Okay. Um, and then all the other cruises, it's like three thousand dollars for a for week. a week. Three thousand dollars guest cabin. Do you get like free food? Yes. Stuff? Oh come on, yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, it's a cliche, but it was golden handcuffs. Like I was miserable, mm-hmm. but I was traveling the world, getting paid buckets of money and saving money on like groceries yes. and like car stuff oh my gosh whatever. i still hate cooking i'm like where is why is the buffet not open <laughs> like, <laughs> where's my chef <laughs> i have to do my own dishes now um but anyway you were saying i, I just had to know those details because i had it had been why you kept Listen, going back yeah. ask me anything except names of cruise lines and i'm i'm officially now an open book perfect <laughs> so you get the, the twelve thousand dollars in contracts for july yeah. and what happens that cruise line, that really awesome cruise line that I had a great time on, the European trip, they fired me. They canceled all my contracts because apparently the people that, you know how, sorry, I know this is all over the place, but I think you can relate to this where like you're having a great show and there's a couple people who aren't into it yeah. and you have to train yourself to not think about them. Mm-hmm. Well, those people on cruise ships think about them because they're writing letters and they're filling out surveys and the worst part about this i'm almost shaking talking about this because this is very recent and it was very traumatic for me um they sent me like copy paste of horrible things people said about me like ugly things that's like, I mean, to fire someone is mean, but to like be like, oh, and here's all the awful it's stuff. It's because people who work on cruise ships, not all people, but especially in entertainment, they have no spine. They cannot own up to, we don't know how to produce. We don't know how to support you. They say, oh, well, it was them. Mm-hmm. It was it was these people. And here's what they said. It, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's like Twitter where it's like the, the loudest, most obnoxious people. Yeah get the most attention and everything bends their mm-hmm. way just because they make the biggest fuss. But it really was a blessing. I really didn't belong on crew. I was like physically and mentally ill mm-hmm. working on them. Yeah, I get that. That That's it. <laughs> it sounds that way. I mean, it's like, so you like, how many times were you fired off of a, a ship in the middle of the ship? Like, okay. So I worked four lines. The, the biggest one I worked 
they actually never fired me. They ghosted. Okay. So it's like I could have fought my way back onto this one, but I'm like, let me let it go. Don't want those golden handcuffs bad enough. No, no, no. And then the second one, this was the wor- this was the worst one, was they fired me right after I did one show. And they they were like, we're sending you home at the next port. I had unpacked all my sequins. It, I had hung up like all these weeks worth of outfits and everything. And they were like, we're, we have to send you home. It's not a fit. And I went to the, the cruise director's office. He was like, would you like to come talk to me, love? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, darling, you just, you know, you've got too much of a perspective. They want... <laughs> right i mean yeah you're that's the opposite advice you hear from any comedian booker (laughs) anything just no lessen your personal perspective totally he actually told me it would be better if i was a man like Mm. talk about sexism he was like these people want uh i can't do this accent anymore but he was like they want uh a 50 year old white married man who's complaining about his wife and his kids yep. and making fun of the captain's accent and i said well isn't that a bit hacky and he said i remember it like it was yesterday he was like of course darling it's a cruise ship it's hacky you're not hacky you don't belong here go do uh, better things and it's like he was right yeah but also fuck you okay yeah. let me finish my contract mm-hmm. okay give me because also they didn't advertise the show as comedy it was advertised as music oh, like no. the production on these things they don't even like if they took 10 minutes now i sound bitter i'm a little bitter i'm i'm blessed that i'm out of it let it all out but it's like i really could i would never but i really could work for a cruise line and make the comedy shows great like it would take 10 minutes to be to listen to the comedian and see what they need you know right just bring what you've done with colleges like onto yeah. onto a boat. Because they were because I content is a is a big example. So a lot of shows on cruise ships they advertise what the content is. And so people know, okay, this one's rated R, this one's a G rated show. And so on this cruise line that dramatically kicked me off and flew me home in the middle of the cruise, um, they told me, Oh yes, you know, PG thirteen, say whatever, just don't say fuck, you know. And I said, Okay, can you put that in the description? And they're like, No, people get it do they and they don't and i wasn't even offended like it was just like of course these people got up and walked out because they a thought it was a music show and then b when it was comedy it was like i was talking about adult things and you know if you're if you're listening to this and you don't know me probably everybody doesn't know me my comedy's cute and funny like it's not that dirty no you're not like a (laughs) edgelord comedian by any sense of the word but like on ships i was i i had no idea i was niche till i did ships you were you're like a a new york suite and a and a uh cruise ship like blue comedian totally i'm just yeah i was too much i was too much for them i understand that like the whole the experience itself of like getting fired and like losing the money is traumatic but like are you happy with the way it kind of turned out in general and that like you got to travel and have these experiences and make some money and then you also got this confirmation of like oh i'm not a fucking hack yeah not that you thought you were in the first place but it maybe it's like a little confirmation of like oh i i have something unique i hate to give bad experiences credit but cruise ships made me such a better comedian good it made they made me such a better comedian because you really first of all you have to have at least 90 minutes on all these lines wow um not in one show but like spread out at least 90 and that really stretches you and you really get a thick skin because on ships it's normal for people to just get up and walk out 
you know, and you're just you just keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like comedy boot camp. Again, think about the audience. Yeah. And like the audience that you've cultivated with the college shows with like kind of the nerdy, sweet Gen Z kids. Mm -hmm. And then you got just these angry old boomers. Yeah. Not being able to turn off the flashlights on their phones. (laughs) And a lot of the boomers love me. That's the thing is like two thirds loved me two thirds of boomers that's a good ratio two thirds loved me but that one third very upset that i exist okay very upset wrote comments wrote i mean that's essentially why that's point blake why why it didn't work out is comments customer culture on ships you know they show up they want to find like a pebble in their food and complain about it and that attitude is what they would bring to the comedy shows oh, no. they would i mean that's the worst kind of audience you could ever have they're to not have fun is they're somebody to... to look for something to complain about but i mean yeah you're you're done and you're never going back no well i would do a gay cruise okay I would do a gay cruise. I would even go to that cruise that fired me last. <laughs> I loved that one. I would like take it as a guest. Um, yeah. I think maybe uh, somebody gave me good advice because I do have some friends who still work cruises. And um, my buddy Kirk Smith, actually, he does them. And he's like, he's a he's a white guy in his 50s with kids, you know, and he's like. He's he, who they're looking for. And he knows that, you know, he's like, this is why I do well. And he goes, you're probably going to do better on cruise ships in like 20 years when you're the same age as the cruisers, mm-hmm. you know, and who knows? Maybe I'll want to do it. Right. In 20 years. You make your triumph and return and be like, fuck <laughs> you guys. I'm here. Right. Or maybe it's like a celebrity. Like if I make it big, just show up and be like, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to pay me. I'm doing it just for spite. Yeah. <laughs> but things are not all bad and things do not stay bad. Things are we can because this is coming out Wednesday, November november wednesday october 4th yes you have a good thing that is happening monday this mo- you're starting on monday yes what has happened um god is real there we go <laughs> comedy gods are real um i right after i got fired from ships lost thousands of dollars panicking panicking uh i saw my friend remy casimir mm-hmm. post on her instagram story like our um social media person is leaving who wants to you know work on our podcast and i was like i do (laughs) and it was because i'd been on indeed.com all day you know and i was like oh i want to work and it's for a company called betches media Mm -hmm. um which is like in comedy for women they produce jared freed's special they yeah they produce comedy specials like they're in comedy they're very cool um it's like a prestigious no it's like it's a (laughs) legitimate media brand i, th- I feel yeah. like i'm doing them a disservice by calling them the female bar stool because like they have more of a perspective I well think no they're... that's what it i mean it was a response to college humor in 2011 was, yeah there was all, like the chive and college humor there were all these like men's humor sites and and these women were like mm, what about for girls mm-hmm. betches love this was the original yes. title i remember yeah, yeah that was the title of the blog but anyways it was like a three-month process <laughs> applying for this like creating content for them um and making pitch decks and like interviewing and meeting everybody and i got the offer a couple weeks ago and i start on monday and i'm really excited that's so awesome i i mean i have a little bit of imposter syndrome like because they're, they're, I mean, three months of a interview process. Yeah, you gotta feel like a little confident going in. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's like it's like a cool girl media comedy thing, and I'm like, okay, I guess that's me. Yeah, I, and it's I manifested. Keep, it's only gonna keep growing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so that man, that's that's so awesome. So and you, I wouldn't have found it if I didn't get fired from cruise ships. So it really was 
I really feel like it was pre- the the cliche of rejection as protection. Like I really should have listened to my body and everything and pulled myself out of cruises, but I had to get like pulled out of traffic like a toddler, yeah. you know? They had to literally throw you off the ship. They had to throw me off the ship four times. <laughs> and then finally I was like, okay, I guess this isn't a fit. And I didn't, all summer, I didn't know what to tell people because people, you know, we we have to protect our, our image and project mm-hmm. like success. Things are going great. You know, and everybody's like, how are the cruises? And I'm just like, yeah. Maybe how? I shouldn't have done this podcast. <laughs> How's it going, Pete? It's, oh, I'm failing and quitting well, soon. Don't you remember when you asked me over a month ago? I was like, mm, give me a month. Yeah, I was you, like, I need a happy ending to this story. Need to process. <laughs> need to process. Need a happy ending. It all worked out. And yeah. Well, that's cool. I wish you all the, all the best of luck and all the fun and enjoyment. Thank you. And you, So you're going to be like producing podcasts and, and making videos and doing stuff like everything comedy related. Right. So it's actually for the podcast Diet Starts Tomorrow with Remy Casimir and Emily Lubin. It's a wellness and quotes humor podcast, um, which is totally my vibe. I'm intuitive eater. I'm obviously very funny. I'm a girl. I sound kind of like an asshole on this podcast. Should we no, just no, not you post don't. it? No, please. You, you, okay. This, that's all in your head. <laughs> okay please um so yeah it's it's a lot of it is managing the instagram page and coming up with like funny ideas for videos and the other part is working with the podcast and like helping them brainstorm and maybe booking guests i don't i haven't started yet so i really don't know how to talk about it yet but i know i'm really excited and i get to work in comedy with women with a salary i've never had a paid day off in my life i've been running in circles since i moved here working random part-time jobs temp jobs i've never had a real job that's cr- like this no paid time off no paid ever crazy. i have i have been grinding my ass off since 2014 and do you health insurance with this job too yes come on no premium that's the trifecta can i say that yeah yeah sure yeah <laughs> it, makes, it only makes them look good exactly <laughs> like, do you want to work at Betches? Find uh, go to their website. It, we'll put it in the link. And in the apply comments. for three months. Yeah. No shade. I'm so excited. Yeah, they, they, it's like whiplash. <laughs> they got to make sure you want it. You know. Yeah. I was like, I really want this. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that you followed the intuition, and had you know followed it, took it the right way, and things have seemed to pan out. Like it's nice to see. It's like a map. It's nice to see a good thing happen to a good person who I like. Aw. So. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> you're what happy to uh yeah thank you you're welcome no listen the whole cruise thing was people loving to see me fail so hearing you say that very simple thing who's people loving to see you fail like other the the people on the the cruise oh the the people picking the pebbles out of the salad and they did lauren thank you for stopping by what do you want to plug social media shows anything um please follow me on instagram at lauren hope crass my j- new job is now on social media. I should probably get some more followers. Eh, it'll, it'll come with time. <laughs> it'll come. Do some collabs. Yeah. I produce a show at QED in Astoria called New Material Night. Um, second and fourth Thursday of the month. Pete's often a very funny comedian guest on the show. Um, go see that. And Links are in the comments. We'll uh, like and subscribe. All that stuff. Yeah. Follow. We are, are, I would say our um, rent money depends on it, but you and I both have salary jobs. We got so like, yeah, we're doing, we got salaries, we got health insurance. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You, it's it's going to, that first vacation day is going to feel really good for you, I feel I like. Can't, well, it's going to be doing a college gig. But, but 
still. That, hey, you, you get paid for the college gig and pay, get paid for the vacation. I got day. two jobs. Oh my gosh, this this woman, she's killing it. All right, thank you, Lauren. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Pete. See you soon.